Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rare Petro Network. Today we've got, it's been a while, but another episode of the Industry Leader Spotlight Series. Today, I am joined by Mr. Neil Duncan. Welcome, welcome to the show, Neil. Good to have you. Good to see you, Travis. Now, Neil Duncan is a Senior Project Development and Asset Manager Executive at Integrated Petroleum Technologies, or IPT. Between working for large EMP companies like ExxonMobil, international organizations like Gazprom, consulting for independent oil producers, and merging companies across diverse borders, Mr. Duncan has worked dozens of disciplines within the industry. His expertise has landed him positions in not only the United States, but Russia, Turkmenistan, and islands in the Pacific Southwest. As Managing Director at IPT, Neil provides technical and strategic advice in the upstream, midstream, and mining sectors, and today we are going to pick his brain to see what kind of information we can glean. So, first of all, like we start with everybody, there's an origin story. How did you get involved with the energy industry? Did you stumble into it? Did you always want to as a kid? How'd that start? Well, I grew up in, in the industry, in energy industry. My stepfather was a petroleum geologist and an independent oil and gas producer in the San Juan Basin. So growing up, I, you know, in high school, I was going down to the wells uh, with him. I was doing some mud logging and that sort of thing. And uh, it was just kind of a natural direction for me. So after high school, I went straight to Texas Tech University and got my petroleum engineering degree. Alrighty, and that's what kicked it off. So obviously that's a start, but this is not just Joe Schmo Spotlight Series. This is industry leader. So where do you think you kind of breached into a leadership role or got involved with maybe a leadership opportunity? Well, starting out, you of course you always do the you know the the engineer role and 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 work your way up. And what you know what I always try to do is try to find something unique in a field find something that uh, needed attention, put, the, get, put that attention and focus on it and try to increase production or cut cost. And uh, so I was successful doing that with mobile, which was my first job out of Texas Tech. And yeah, I graduated at a very difficult time in the industry. There were 14 of 75 who got jobs. So I was uh -huh. fortunate to have a job. Uh, my grades were not stellar, but I, I did get some experience along the way uh, like I said, working for my stepfather and also working as a pumper in Lubbock, Texas when I was uh, going to college. So, um, so I got into the in industry, worked my way up. And uh, uh, after, you know, going, when I went back to, after breaking my pick with mobile and going back to work for my stepfather, uh, that's when I was, you know, got into the business a little bit and, uh, and started learning the real economics of business and what it meant to have debts to pay and that sort of thing. So, uh, and, you know, after, eventually after we sold out, uh, that's when I, that's why I went to Russia and uh, started taking increasing leadership roles there in organizations. Uh -huh. Time in Russia. I mean, Igavarice Paruski or <laughs> did I butcher that? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I personally I don't speak any. I did Google that before this for my notes, so please okay. no one think that I'm bilingual there. I do have some Spanish, but you mentioned Russia. I mean, what kind of I don't know if we've worked with anyone or interviewed anyone on this show that actually had such a yes, drastic transition into a different country. Of course, people are operating in some pretty typical places, but we have not interviewed any Americans who worked in Russia. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
Well, it was a unique opportunity. I, I was still not yet 30 when I, when I uh, jumped on the plane and, and uh, flew to Moscow. Uh, but uh, it was a, uh, it, 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 what it was is it, it, it taught me how to be resourceful because in Russia, they didn't have all the resources we have in the, in the United States. And initially the joint venture, I was, I was, uh, I went over there to join. Uh, they, you know, the, the idea was to bring all this American equipment into Western Siberia and start, you know, and, and produce oil um, more efficiently. And uh, when I got, when I got on the ground and I was, I was just a consultant for them, uh, uh, went over there to do completions and ended up being in charge of building the production facilities and, and that's kind of how it started. But I really quickly realized, hey, you know, we can't afford to do all this with West, with, you know, Alaska, more slope equipment, we've got to find a way to do this with Russian equipment. And so I helped the company make that transition and start incorporating more and more Russian equipment, training more Russians to become engineers. So we had a, a really good local staff to work with and, uh, and, and building the business that way. And that, and that, and that worked, that worked in our, in our favor. So you mentioned there was a problem with the Russian equipment. I mean, comparatively, was it just older or is it not as advanced as maybe some Western technology that you'd been working with? It was not as advanced, but it was good enough for what we were doing. And um, yeah, I encouraged the Russian companies to reach out to API, get the inspectors into their factories and you know start producing API um, equipment. And they started doing that. And so we were able to get you know, API monogram wellheads and things coming out of of, uh, of the Urals, which was which was very interesting. And they had to go through quite a process to 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 get that certification, but uh, it really improved their quality. Um, it was I saw a time when Russia went from being uh, very down and out as a people, uh, having been under 70 years of communism, just starting to become more entrepreneurial, more free, more free thinking, and really saw an, an explosion in, uh, in, in technology there that was uniquely Russian. So, so that, that, helped, that, that, helped build, um, that helped build Russia uh, a little bit. And, uh, and um, it, being part of that, I was, I was asked to join another joint venture with uh, uh, Gazprom um, and some uh, Western investors. Uh, to to develop an oil field in in uh, in the Ostrahan region, uh, we did some exploration, and, uh, got the uh, got the oil field evaluated, and then I moved back and went and joined our original Russian partners uh, from the first joint venture, and then we formed T and KBP with with British Petroleum, and I was I became a senior manager in that, looking after the gas business. Were you 30 at that point by the time you helped with that merger? No, I was, I spent 15 years in Russia. Okay. So. I didn't know what the time frame for this was. I, I, I was going to say I, that is such a quick climb up that ladder. But no, uh, I, I, what were some of the ways you were able to present your ideas and get buy-in from the people you were working with to get those changes? Because honestly, negotiations are something that you don't get to talk about a lot in school. How did you navigate that internationally? Well, it, it was, it was, it wasn't easy. Uh, but what I did learn to do was listen 
and and listen to ideas. People, you know, would would come in with their with their own ideas and and just be very forceful about them. I found that's not the way to do it. You know, these these Russians have, you know, they've come a long way. I, I got to see them come a long way, and I said, you know, let's let let's let's roll with it. Let's, you know, let some of the Russian thinking uh, coming, you know come into this business and, and they they were if, if you listened they were they were they were pretty astute uh, business people and, and became astute uh, I worked with a lot of guys a lot of Russian guys who had uh, Harvard MBAs and uh, they, they really went they really came to, they came to the US they went to Harvard they went to London School of Economics they um, they, they, they went to, through these very good programs and, and came back with with uh, very good uh, very good education in business, and the engineers were going to the the uh, the uh, the Gupkin Institute, and uh, there was a technology uh, university in Tumen also uh, that Schlumberger and BP uh, participated in and, and helped grow. So, you know, you had these young engineers coming out uh, with very good education uh, from from the Russian Institute. So. Uh, if you go to some of the SBE programs in Russia, you know, you'll you'll find really impressive papers coming from these from very young engineers with, you know, novel approaches to frac modeling and, and that sort of thing. They're, they're very they're very sharp. Yeah, and it's got to be fun to look back and think about your influence in the region over that time. So that pretty much carries us. I mean, granted, there's a whole lot more, but jumping into the present, what do you do today? A lot of what you've been doing for the past couple decades, or is it new? Is it changing? Well, things have changed a lot since I came back to the United States. I mean, I came back, well, after a short term in, in Papua New Guinea, um, mm -hmm. where I used my cost-cutting skills and, you know, using the nationals, developing the nationals to, to uh, did that again from 2009 to 2013. But then in, uh, in uh, 2014, I joined... IPT, and uh, just to do just to do the consulting here in the DJ Basin, and and what I found when I first came into this role is that having been international for so long, I had learned the the importance of long term planning, and you know looking out well beyond the the traditional planning cycle that's run here in the DJ, where you know. You've got a well spudding in, in in a month, and now you're thinking about a drilling contract, right? <laughs> so, so uh, we started we started expanding that that time a little bit to, to start thinking ahead a lot more because if you if you if you do plan ahead, um, you find more opportunities for uh, cost cutting, more synergies. You get you 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 have you can get a wider selection of vendors. You can. You can, we, we were able to do a lot to, to reduce our clients' cost and improve performance by, by looking ahead a little bit longer than we normally do. And definitely for you listening to this podcast out there, if you'd like to learn more about what IPT can provide, we direct you to IPTEnergyServices.com. I'll make sure to include a link right here, but please go to them. They do wonderful work. So now we've gotten through the timeline, sort of what you're doing up until now. And now I'd like to switch from you kind of gear towards the current downturn. So how does this one 
compared to ones you've seen in the past? And maybe do you remember your first downturn? <laughs> this is the mother of all downturns. Oh, I'd love to hear it as a young <laughs> professional. That, that is, uh, you know, I started in a similar downturn, but uh, I was very fortunate to be uh, a young engineer who had just started with a company that didn't want to get rid of the young engineers. <laughs> oh, I feel that, count your blessings. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I had a lot of, lot of friends and colleagues that, that were dealing with, dealing with withdrawn offers as mm -hmm. many young engineers are doing today. Yeah. So uh, it's, uh, it, it was a discouraging time, but then we had a pretty good run uh, once, once, we got, once we got through that. I think there are some differences uh, now versus then. Uh, now we do, we see the emergence, emergence of competitive fuels. We see a lot of anti-oil and gas sentiment out there. And that, that is, that, that's going to make it tough on our, on our industry for a while. I think as you, as a young person comes into this in industry being oil and gas, um, I think we need to think of ourselves more as energy specialists and not oil and gas specialists. Yeah. I think we have to we have to we have to pivot and we have to adapt a little bit to how can our skills be used to uh, benefit other forms of energy as well. For example, IPT is is uh, looking into geothermal now. We've we've been working with NREL for several years and advising on how to cut drilling costs in, in geothermal. We haven't gotten a lot of traction yet, but, but, there's, but, but I think there's a lot of opportunities to use what we've learned in oil and gas to, to make geothermal a lot better and, and cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, back in, I, when I was rotating back and forth to Papua New Guinea, I, I went to Arapahoe Community College and, and uh, took some courses in solar uh, engineering. And, uh, and solar inst installation. So, you know, try to diversify so that you can, you can speak to other forms of energy and talk intelligently about them, understand them, understand where oil and gas fits in the, in the, in the changing energy puzzle and, and try to provide value um, in, in, in that discussion or in, or in, in, in business that develops from that. And that kind of brings us to the next question, actually. What are you and your businesses doing to try and navigate this water? Clearly, you said you're trying to get into geothermal stuff, but I liked how you framed it as become an energy specialist, right? It's always changing. The energy puzzle, it's going to be dynamic. So is this something that we're going to see that individ individuals should strive to make themselves energy specialists, or should companies start an initiative to become an energy specialist like, say, IBT? or BP, even though that's not been working out so well for them? Well, it's not working out so, we say it's not working out so well for BP, but we don't know the answer yet. We know that, you know, their stock price is not- uh, Great, not great. Not great. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the lowest it's been in 25 years. Yep. But, but not to hammer on that, anybody that's going to make any kind of a change is going to have some pain along the way. Of course, got to take risk. You, you can't, you can't just, you know, the, the leopard just can't get rid of its spots, you know, overnight. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's true. But 
Um, but in as far as adapting, I think you know we we have to be ready to to pivot as, as an industry. It's not going to be it's not going to be fast. I, I think I think we're I think we're kidding ourselves to be carbon neutral in Colorado by 2035. That's it's a bit aggressive for sure. That's that's pretty aggressive, and it's, it's you know frankly it's probably not going to happen. Um, but the technology today and the limits of physics physics don't really support it. One of my favorite uh, people I, I follow, and, and I've met him, I had dinner with him uh, several years ago, is a guy named Mark Mills, and he's a he's a really good uh, energy thinker. And uh, I encourage you to, to look up his videos, read his books. Uh, he, he's he's very he's very good. Uh, but um, back to back to what IPT is doing. IPT recognizes that you know, we have to focus on what's going to change in our clients' businesses, and and in order to cut costs. Our clients may not have to may not have full time positions for every engineering discipline. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, and I, I think as RP as Fair Petro is doing uh, with some clients in California, you know, providing that artificial lift uh, service where you know you can go look, you know, pull the data from the company, look at what's going on with their well performance, uh, and go back and recommend some solutions. Maybe execute some work improves the bottom line without them having the cost of you know a full-time engineering staff doing that you can come do that a few hours a week uh, as as anthony has said and i think those kinds of models work uh, we, we work with we, we work with clients all the time that have problems like needing expert testimony and that sort of thing and, and we come in and, and provide that you know we we have the capability we have the analytical we have the data uh, we have the servers, the, the, the way to processes, process data, and, and can go out and provide a lot of data services to people. Um, so in kind of rebranding uh, IPT, whereas we, most of our business was always supervision of frack jobs, supervision of drilling rigs, supervision of, of completion workover operations, we're, we are becoming more and more of an engineering and data uh, company, data services company. So uh, we'll be hosting a data room for a for an acquisition soon. Uh, those, those kinds of those, those kinds of things where you know, it's data, it, it's working with data. But what you have to remember is that big data needs also big minds to work with it and to understand it and to know how to apply it. Um, and I think companies like IPT and, and, and Rare Petro are, are unique in, in that, is that we just we don't just amalgamate a bunch of data and churn out a bunch of garbage. We think about it and, and understand the implications and create value from that, from that data for, for our clients. 100%, if I'm not mistaken, it sounds like you're describing a future where really energy professionals, maybe not just petroleum engineer, but energy specialists have the context necessary to arrange this data and present it in a way that, like you said, adds value to somebody else. We're moving into sort of a digital oil field, if you will. It is, but remember, you know, the, 
you know, the digital oil field is, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time, but you still need boots on the ground. Yep. People with brilliant minds to go out and execute and, and uh, getting things done on the ground is, is, is where the rubber meets the road. Definitely. And we've kind of dipped our toes into it a little bit, but what things do you think will come out of this downturn? How will the industry change? How will people change? How will the industry internationally change from a perspective of U.S. versus Russia, maybe? Well, I, I think overall, I think things will change. I mean, the the, the travel. I mean, I, 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 I was just on the Groundwater Protection Conference uh, this morning and uh, talking to various state agencies about how they're they're running their their UIC programs now. And, you know, in New Mexico, I, I used to go into the office in Santa Fe there and these these guys had stacks of paper all over their desks. There were there were cartons there there were boxes of archives, and I'd go in and I about a permit that I was working on for a client, and oh, he'd say, oh, it's in this box, and he'd pull out all this paper. <laughs> they're now they've been working from home since March, and they're completely paperless now. They've adapted their systems, and and now they can find stuff. They, they seem to be working more efficiently. You know where they used to process 40 permits a year. Now they're processing almost 400, um, but they're, they're able to do, to do things much more efficiently. And, you know, I think that's, that's going to be true. Um, meetings are, um, there, there will be more meetings like this uh, where people are, are remote, not necessarily traveling to, to each other's office. We still need to have the personal connection. We still have to meet once in a while. Um, there, there's something missed on a Zoom meeting. Uh, yeah, no, it is different. It is, <laughs> it's easier to uh, tune out. <laughs> yeah, it's it's easy and, and play on your phone. No one notices. And, and you know, there, there's more communication than just the words and and, and what you see on on someone's face. Mm -hmm. But but uh, uh, there's there's a that makes that makes the industry a little bit different already um, but we we will have to continue to cut costs that's 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 that goes without saying we'll have to realize that demand may not get back to where it was very soon but we also have to recognize that in the in the whole mix of energy not everybody can afford uh, solar and wind we have to, you know, we have to continue to produce, produce oil to, uh, to, to make sure that the, the people of the, the less fortunate have access to energy. And, and there, there are still, there's still, there are still more and more people gaining access to energy all the time. And it will be, it will be the energy that we produce. It will be fossil fuels. And, um, so fossil fuels will play a role for, for a long time to come. We just have to be smart about it and produce it efficiently. This is almost a selfish question for me because I graduated from mines with a bachelor's in petroleum engineering back in May. I'm fortunate enough to have a position in the industry, but there's a lot of people like me who may have a job or most likely do not. So what kind of words of wisdom do you have for the people in that wide pool of graduates that are either in work, out of work, what can they do to make themselves more attractive as candidates? How can they add value to people's networks? Well, you did say a word, network. You've got, you've, 
have to network. You have to uh, go to the SPE meetings, meet people, you know, make yourself make yourself known. Uh, but you, I think in this day and age, you'll have to be willing to do uh, almost any job to to really uh, demonstrate that you have the work ethic and the staying power to, to want to be in this in this business. Um, I'm not advocating that you know you you die on on the hill trying to be a engineer <laughs> for uh, for for some company. You may you might you might take a, a, a divergent path, but you know what I what I found that, that is that anyone that's 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 successfully navigated a petroleum engineering program through the university has a lot of skills. Has a lot of skills that 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 can be used in in, in something else. And if your passion is to to come back to uh, uh, to, to to being that engineer, uh, then then so be it. Uh, but you might take a path that that goes parallel for a while before you before you cross over. And then uh, I don't know if this ties into working any job and being willing to do anything, but I did see uh, when perusing your LinkedIn profile, you were both certified EMT and professional pilot at some point. Was that anything to do with oil and gas or was that you just learning to grow on your own? No, I just, you know, I became a pilot when I was in college. I, I, I took, uh, I, I, it was a funny, funny story, but I, I was, I started taking ground school and I started, started flying my last summer when I was uh, working for, uh, as a, as a engineer for, uh, Amico in, in Hobbs, New Mexico. Wasn't that much else to do in Hobbs besides <laughs> a new skill. So, uh, and I, I, I just told my flight instructor that, you know, I can't make it anymore. I, I'm, I'm out of money. I, I still got to save money for school. And then I opened my, my, my mailbox one afternoon and there's the SPE scholarship. Oh my God, I can finish flying. <laughs> 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 I've got my license. That was a differentiator that got me the job uh, in the first place with mobile because I flew down from college for my interview and they were pretty impressed that I flew. Uh -huh. on, after I joined as, and became an engineer, I started getting phone calls from my boss's boss's boss. Hey, there's a game down in uh, <laughs> we'd like to go down to. Uh, do you want to... Uh, you know, if we gather some guys up and split the cost, will you fly us down there? Sure. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, started getting hours that way. Uh, Definitely. Are there, is that still something? I mean, you're kind of higher up in the management chain. I'm sure you've kind of dealt with hiring and firing people, but do you look for those weird, obscure skills? I do. I, I, I hired a drilling engineer uh, that was a pilot uh, recently. And he's and he, he's actually still working for me right now. So he's he's uh, he, he just finished up a project uh, here in the DJ. And uh, so smart kid, uh, rancher, pilot, had had pretty good ethics. Um, and the the medical skills. The um, I was always working in remote areas and mm -hmm. wondering what I would do if. And my my biggest fear was something. Someone has a major accident. What? How can I help? So it wasn't until uh, 2018 I came back here and when I, 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 joined, I jumped on South Metro Fire's uh, EMT program, got my EMT, and now I work as a volunteer firefighter in Clear, Clear Creek County where I, I volunteer about two days a week. It's pretty cool. Drive a fire truck, <laughs> pull up to the accidents and, uh, and, and help people or go, to, go on medical calls and, and, and 
help somebody in distress. So it's a lot of fun and uh, it's, it's good give back to my community. Definitely. Well, I think that actually wraps up everything we wanted to discuss in the interview. Is there anything else you'd like to do? Maybe talk about IPT, plug anything else or last minute advice for those listening? Well, um, you know, IPT, just to to give listeners who don't know IPT, we are a a golden-based consultancy that we do everything from, you know, the pre-planning to permitting uh, to drilling, execution, workover, completions, execution. And uh, we we also do a lot of support uh, for people who find that find themselves in, in regulatory trouble or, or have serious regulatory questions or, or issues. We can, we can, we can help, help resolve those issues with the, with the COGCC. And uh, just because we, we've, we've seen a lot and we know uh, what, you know, we know what, what kind of variances are acceptable and we, we, we just know how to work with people. So, um, we, we do a lot of that. We're also experts in, in hydraulic fracturing. Um, IPT helped develop the Frac Pro uh, uh, program way back in the back in the, in the days. So, um, so in fact, we have an unlimited license to Frac to Frac Pro, and uh, that's that's been that's been good. But um, uh, but we're always studying. You know what's what's new. Uh, what's 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 the best way to complete wells? We we really look at data hard, even when we're not on assignment for a client. You know, we're, we're pulling data and analyzing and saying, well, what's the best way to frack a well in this region, in case we're asked. So, you know, we, we we do a lot of that, a lot of our own research. And again, I'll make sure to put a link to the website right here. Can't have it too much. And thank you. Lastly, thank you for taking the time to do this interview with us. Thank you, Travis. It's been a pleasure. Of course. And that's the end of this episode, so be sure to go to rarepetro.com to find more content, doing plenty of in-house research, writing periodicals. If you don't want to read, we do it in podcast form, too. So you've got no excuse to not keep learning. So until we see you next time, take care, everybody.